In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Rob, it's Froth. I just want to congratulate you on a year of down in a heap. Love your podcast. We'll have to get together again soon. But... One year, that shows commitment. It shows determination. It shows grit. Congratulations again. Hey, Rob, I wanted to say congratulations on one year, and I am very glad that you've uh, lasted out and followed through with it. Uh, I haven't listened through the whole episode yet. My lunchtime got cut short, but I wanted to leave you a message. Uh, I kind of left off of the part where the Tico Torres stuff comes in, but it, I, you know, the whole... You and Froth thing was very, very funny. I always, th- yeah, I remember when that happened. So that was a lot of fun. But uh, again, congratulations and looking forward to the next year. Take care, Rob. Arfid here. Um, still catching up on some of your back episodes, but saw one drop for about your one-year anniversary. Uh, just needed to call in and say congratulations. Um, I think I've been listening or heard back most of them now. Um, I'm not a prolific sort of calling to a lot of the shows but really enjoyed it loved listening to some of the funny moments between you and froth and um and tim shorts jokes and yeah just some of the, the memorable things and uh, they brought a smile to my face just remembering them when they uh, they did come out so keep up the good work hope you keep going for another year and um yeah just wanted to say hi Hey, Rob, it's Cody. Congratulations on hitting one year. That is a monumental achievement and an inspiration, to be sure. Um, I look forward to what you bring to us this coming year, um, but I do have one request. you got to stop beating yourself up. You're always going on about, oh, how your show's not that great or, you know, whatever. Like in this past episode, you know, you said, oh, it could have been better. Dude, you have a great show. Just, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing and... Um, yeah, I really look forward to what's coming next. Um, so take it easy, bud. Later. Yo, Rob, it's Joe. And I just want to call to say congratulations on hitting a year, man. That is big time, dude. You're putting out great stuff, and I hope you keep it up. And I'm excited to hear a lot more from you. So, dude, congratulations again. Okay, congratulations on, I almost said 10 years of podcasting. Wow, wow, that's a long time. I thought it was only a year. (laughs) Congratulations on 10 years of podcasting. Congratulations on one year of podcasting. Very cool. I'm glad you didn't ignore it. I'm glad you did a a podcast about it. The Tico Taurus thing, I completely forgot about that. Me too. It was funny. It was very funny. All right, here's to another year. Bye. Say bye. 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 Hi Rob, congratulations on a year of podcasting mate and thanks very much for the acknowledgement. It is always humbling to hear when you've inspired somebody, even in a a small way. And I was lucky to get in quite early on Anchor. I've really enjoyed the year of listening to you. I think you always come out with some real great insights and in particular enjoying your deep dive into BX. Here's to another year at least, hopefully 
many more. Take care of yourself, mate, and I'll catch you later. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Down and Eat podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. At the top of the show there, we had uh, lots of well wishes and kind words from various anchorites and people that listen and call into the show and have their own podcasts. And I appreciate all those calls. I appreciate all the listeners and all the people that call in help make this show what it is and give me incentive to keep going. Hopefully it will go another year as long as Anchor keeps rolling along. And I really enjoy the and appreciate the whole experience that we have in this little corner of the hobby. But I had also had calls uh, regarding the BX Deep Dive, so before I get to the main topic there, let's go to these calls. Yo, Rob, it's Joe again, and I'm listening to your conversation with Evil Jeff on BX about Backstab, and I was thinking back to what you were talking about in your previous Deep Dive episode, where you said in the rules that they state that during a battle, it's too loud to hear anything, so I wonder if thieves would get, I don't know, a bonus when they're trying to move silently in a battle. I don't think that's in their rules as written at all, but it was just something that dawned on me. Anyway, dude, peace out. There was Joe from the Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe Actual Play podcast. And thanks for the call, and that's totally where I think the rulings versus rules kind of things come in. And I would definitely be giving a bonus to move silently in that kind of situation. If not, just letting them outright move silently and get a, a backstab on the preoccupied combatant. Um, it might depend a little bit on just how many combatant combatants there are in this whirling melee or something and how much noise they're, they're making. If the, if the thief's comrades were specifically trying to make a lot of noise and distract the opponent, you know, unless it was done in such a ham-handed way that gave it away to the monster, um, like an intelligent monster or something. But yeah, in all likelihood, I'd probably just say, yeah, you get a back backstab. Don't even bother rolling the moves silently. Um, other situations that might warrant something like that is, you know, sneaking up on a sleeping monster or past a sleeping monster. I'd definitely get a bonus to that uh, and depending on the actual terrain being moved through they might warrant a penalty or a or possibly a bonus in those situations but yeah I think the in order if you're playing rules is written where the thief has these really poor chances to accomplish their thiefy tasks in BX I think it's incumbent upon the DM to be a little generous at times and just let them do things. Thanks for the call. Hey, Rob. This is Larry with Follow Me and Die. I just listened to your latest episode where you're talking about the alignment languages and just a bit of history, and I only know this because I've read about it on the now extinct G+. In Chainmail is where the alignment started in gaming and it is believed that that was taken from the Elric novels 
by Michael Moorcock, where he talked about law and chaos. It's also in uh, three, uh, what is the three hearts and three lions? Oh, I forget the name of the book. By uh, I think it's Piers Anthony. Also talks about law and chaos, and so it's believed the appendix N influenced the origin of that. And in chainmail, the alignment language was used as a language for each side in a battle. Hey, Larry, thanks for the call. Yeah, I've heard that too, that the origins of the alignments and things are from from the Moorcock novels and from Three Hearts and Three Lions. That's one book I haven't read. I comb used bookstores for it all the time, and it never shows up. I see other novels. It's actually by Poole Anderson. Um, I see other novels that I grab by by that author, like The Broken Sword, and um, there's uh, there's some that, I can't remember the name of them, but they are like historical novels about Harold Hardrada, the, the Viking king and stuff, and his origins. Anyway, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right, and that's the origin of the, the idea of law versus chaos and stuff, but the uh, alignment languages... Yeah, coming from chainmail, that makes sense because <laughs> it seems like a lot of kind of kooky things came from that. My question though is, do you use alignment languages, Larry? Or for that matter, does anyone else out there that's playing AD and D, BX, any of the old editions, do any of you use alignment languages? And do you like using them? Thanks, Rob. It's Evil Jeff. So uh, let's continue our conversation back and forth here. Uh, just a couple notes on what you replied to. Uh, did not know that the D12 was your favorite die there. Um, as you said, go back into your back catalog and be able to uh, hear about that. So I definitely look forward to doing that along with the question. I think you said, uh, what was it? Variable weapon damage was also in there. So uh, definitely we'll give that a look. You went into more of the math on the characters, on their hit points and so forth like that. You know, I really don't normally go through it that hard. I haven't done an analysis of it. I don't remember reading any analysis of it. So thank you for bringing that math to attention. It just feels on average with a lucky... You know, some people are rather lucky about it, and you see their roles um, where it works out. Sometimes it's poor, but yeah. So thank you for doing that math there. It kind of changes a little bit of the thought as what is maybe better than the other one. Um, you definitely can see that the cleric and fighter are definitely much closer together. You went in and pointed out about on the Thief's Backstab uh, about the rear attack where I had said the uh, armor class was reduced. You didn't get your dexterity from behind and you went and looked in there and did not see it. I have to thank you for that because that was a preconceived notion that I had. I got to looking at it and figured out that other 
games that I'm in that are BX based, it looks like it's a house rule that the GM came up with. So I'm rather annoyed by that. Um, and, and I guess it's just one of those things that some of it, sometimes I look at and I'm like, I should know this better. I even went all the way and got out my Beck Me rules, looking through combat, uh, the armor class, everything, and just have the attack roll modifiers listed in there. The only thing uh, we got, let's see, the circumstances, plus two bonus from attacking from behind. That's really it. Um, and there's the note there that ignores the defender shield, if there is one. So that's the only change to the armor class. Thank you for pointing that out. I believe that was it. So I look forward to the next one that's coming up. Hey, Jeff, thanks for calling in and continuing our discussion. D12 is something that I'm a bit enamored with, if for no other reason than I find it very curious that you continue to get dice sets manufactured and included in box sets that always have a D12, but the game system themselves hardly ever utilize a D12 especially for anything meaningful. It's at most used to determine some kind of random encounter or something, but uh, yeah, you always get a D12. As far as hit point analysis, it's something that comes rather naturally to me. I'm one of those goofs that's always been fascinated by numbers and stats and the analysis of those things. I have played a lot of rotisserie baseball and I don't know how many hours of time I've wasted compiling various formula and spreadsheets to determine the auction dollar value of a major league baseball player based on their expectations of batting average and home runs and RBIs and whatnot. I do find it curious that a lot of people seem to, when they're talking about the potential of their character or a character class that they're always looking at it with such optimism that, oh yeah, well, by the time you get ninth level for a fighter, you're going to have like 75, 80, maybe even 90 hit points. Like, uh, no, you're really not going to have that many hit points. Or like if someone's looking at the 5e uh, classes and, oh, the Barbarian gets a D12. Yeah, that that's cool. And in 5e, yeah, they, they have the rule where everyone starts out at maximum hit points, but when you get to second level you're rolling that die and a one is just as likely to come up as a 12 um you, on average you're gonna have more hit points than the other classes but you know don't think that your 10th level barbarian is gonna have 120 hit points without any con adjustments it just doesn't happen and if it does happen eh, i might think that player's fudging those dice rolls a little bit as far as you know that that brings something to my mind. I, I've often wondered if we'd be better off in D&D type games rather than having a, a random number determine your hit points each level, rather giving each class a flat hit point amount uh, each level. So like just pulling it out of my butt, the fighters maybe get six hit points per level, clerics and thieves get four hit points per level, and I'm 
magic user gets two or three hit points per level or something because, you know, that die you roll for hit points is so vital. It might be the most important die roll a player makes. And it's just one die roll each each time you level. And you could have two fifth-level fighters. One of them might have, you know, 35 hit points, and one might have 12 hit points. And but they're both fifth level. How how can they be so wildly different in capability? Um, it's one of the aspects of D and D. I think is a little bit. I don't know if broken is the right word, but definitely swingy. Rear attacks. Personally, I house rule that dex bonuses don't apply uh, to rear attacks. I think it's something where. You have to be able to see the attack coming and react to it. And if you're being attacked from behind, you know, you don't see the attack coming. So, I don't know, maybe if the person's making a lot of noise with the creature behind you, you know is there and you're... So, maybe on, on occasion I'd allow it to happen that you're, you know, trying to dance around or whatever and, and avoid attacks from all areas. But that seems, I don't know. Like giving decks uh, too much power, which seems to happen a lot of versions of D and D. But that brings us to like the idea of house rules again, and I think it's something that is incumbent upon the DM to spell out to the players in advance. I put together a word document for all my players uh, before each campaign begins, spelling out my house rules, especially if we're changing systems or something i think it's just a courtesy and allows the players to really know what they're getting into and by providing that document ahead of time it's not wasting valuable table time on having these rules debates and arguments um, nor is it uh, wasting time with a session zero just read the house rules in advance and we're good to go if you want to discuss it discuss it away from the table preferably before the campaign begins and i love to talk about that stuff but Unfortunately, my players don't all really, you know, they'll sometimes engage, but that's, <laughs> in a lot of ways, that's what's led me to have this podcast is not being able to talk about gaming uh, with my friends so much, so I turned to the, to the anchor. But thanks for the call, and let's go to now Shandy Andy. Hey, Rob, Shandy Andy here. I'd send you a message to say how much I was enjoying your dive into uh, your deep dive into BX. It's my uh, de facto default role playing system. It's one I started playing shortly after it was released back in 1981 and played it for four or five years, I guess. Uh, and only really got back into playing it in a couple of years ago after a gap of oh, 35 years, probably 30 years. So, uh, it's great listening to some of your um, thoughts back on the day and comparing them with how mine were as well. And it's quite interesting. A lot of it's very similar and a few things are different. You mentioned in the first episode about mapping uh, a mapper and a caller. I've got to be honest, I, I did a recent episode myself about mapping and I, I don't remember doing much back in the day. I really don't. Um, but I thought a bit more about it, and I think the reason might be that we, uh, I seem to remember we used those cardboard dungeon tiles, uh, which I assume you've used a, 
over the years as well, which was sort of in a six by eight, I think. We used to cut them up for corridors, things like that. So I think we used to hand wave getting back out once we'd done that. So the mapping was sort of done on the table that way. Um, but I'm with you on the caller. Um, I don't think I've ever used a caller ever in any game we've ever played. Might have had somebody who sort of nominally used to tell the DM what the party had decided, but it was never a very official thing, uh, certainly not in the way that it was described in the basic rule book. I found your description of the uh, cleric turning undead quite amusing as well, because, yeah, it's uh, there's nothing there in the book, really, is there? Nothing at all. It's all uh, uh, rulings. Uh, I mean, uh, the one you missed out was um, where, in a, where in the round do you actually do the turning? Is it the say? Is it before magic spells? After magic spells? Before missiles? Is it, you know, at melee? You know, it, it's all very much uh, left up to the individual GM to work out. And I, I think I would expect nearly every group plays it a slightly different way. I remember for the duration of that I, I looked at the fear spell. I think it was and worked it out roughly along the lines of that. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting compared with it. You know, even AD&D at the time, we were having to do so many rulings rather than uh, use the rules. Also, loving your description of the pictures. Uh, I've deliberately not looked in my rule book because I'm pretty certain I can uh, I can imagine the actual pictures that you're describing. You're doing them so well. You know, they're, they're still there in my mind from all those years ago. Um, so great. Anyway, please keep going into these deep dives into BX I, I for one am certainly enjoying it um, uh, I mean I've bought the old school essentials gone big style into that and I, I'm starting to read through that a bit and I think I'm going to do a bit of a comparison between the original BX books and the uh, old school essentials um, you've certainly yeah, sort of got my interest back into doing uh, some sort of podcasting around BX so great job Rob really enjoying it keep up the good work there was Shandy Andy from Unguarded Treasure a very good podcast and I forgot to mention Evil Jeff has his own podcast too Tome of All Dooms so check out those it does sound like we had a we've had a pretty similar gaming experience Andy and it's always interesting for me to compare uh the experiences that you know people from the same generation have had and i think it's an astute note that you made that you know, every gaming group probably plays in a slightly different way and i know that's in part why gary gygax did the ad and d game and was so meticulous about some of the rules in there and stuff and why it maybe gets a little fiddly as he was from my understanding, trying to develop a game that would settle all the arguments and debates and especially have a codified system that was expected to be used in tournament play and at conventions and and would be the quote-unquote official game system for developing modules and, and whatnot. And I he probably realized, too, that everyone plays the game differently and and in fact all the games in the forward always had you know design the game play it the way you like it's your game now all that and and I think that's one of the things that makes tabletop gaming so fun and interesting is it does allow all this creativity for the 
different people that run and play the games to develop the game that they really want to play at the table and what's best for their own group of players. I would love to hear uh, a comparison, a side-by-side close reading of BX versus the old school essentials that's come out now. I think it's uh, it's my understanding that Gavin Norman was trying to be very close. So I anticipate that they're, other than a different verbiage and stuff, uh, that it in essence is pretty much the same thing and that he's just ironed out a few of the inconsistencies like some I've noted, like halflings not noting as being able to speak halfling or the infamous missing detect invisible spell. So speaking of which, let's go to the main topic now, spells. Oh, I blew it. Evil Jeff's podcast is Minions and Musings, not Tome of All Dooms. Um, I got my Jeffs confused. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I just looked and I'm already at 25 minutes, so I gotta... I think maybe what I'll do is, uh, in this episode, I'll talk about the the basics behind spellcasting, and then the next episode, I'll talk about some of the actual individual spells and what makes some of those unique from other versions of D&D or where I've noted some kind of, I don't know, strange occurrence or something. So BX uses the standard D&D Vancean Fire and Forget where you memorize spells on a daily basis. You have to specifically say what spell you're committing to memory and when you cast it, you forget that spell. Uh, to rememorize spells requires a full night's sleep and an hour of undisturbed time. Magic users and elves are noted that they must have their spell book with them to relearn spells. You must be able to talk and use hand motions. You cannot cast spells while performing any other action, such as walking or fighting. Uh, in the expert said it specifically says the caster can do nothing else in the round a spell is cast the caster must inform the dm that a spell is being cast and which one is being cast before initiative is rolled if the caster takes damage or fails a saving throw the spell is interrupted and lost the caster must be able to see the creature or area the spell is being cast on so all these things are really hampering spellcasters a bit and doing even more and more to make playing the magic user a real burden in BX. <laughs> and continuing along that vein, replacing a lost spell book. The old magic user cannot regain spells until their lost spell book is replaced and the cost is a thousand gold pieces and one week of study per spell level. And further, the magic user is, quote, out of the campaign during this time. So if your magic user has two first level spells and one second level spell in their spell book, to replace that 
would cost uh, what 4,000 gold pieces in four weeks of game time. Now, getting new spells, the old cleric, they receive them directly from the power they serve, so all spells on the list of, are available once they gain enough experience points to cast those spells. So a cleric, once they become a second level, they can freely choose from any of the eight spells on the first level cleric spell list. The magic user must be taught their spells. Uh, says most PCs are assumed to be members of the magic user's guild or apprentice to a high-level NPC. When they gain a level, they return to their master to play out uh, one game week while learning their new spell. Either the player or DM may choose the new spell. Spells known for magic users are limited to the same amount as spells usable per day. Thus, a 4th level magic user can only know and have in their spellbook two 1st level spells and two 2nd level spells. Ouch. This makes magic users really, really difficult to play. And it makes a lot of the spells in the game completely... Um, well, not pointless, because you can discover them on scrolls, but really, if you're giving the PC magic user a choice of spells, what player is going to choose ventriloquism or hold portal, maybe even things like detect magic, instead of spells that will actually help keep them alive and, <laughs> and help them overcome foes, you know, the things that actually give you experience points, discovering treasure and... Uh, overcoming the obstacles, you know, guarding that treasure. So, I mean, who's going to take Floating Disc instead of Magic Missile? Uh, or Sleep or Charm or something? Who's going to take Read Languages instead of Shield or maybe Light or something? It's it's just so crazy that they uh, the, the Magic user is so crappy. If, as in rules is written. Uh, reverse spells, a lot of the spells are marked with a, well not a lot, a few of the spells are marked with an asterisk, both cleric and magic user spells. Uh, it does note that clerics uh, are kind of bound by their alignment, so lawful clerics will only uh, use the reversed version of a spell in life or death situations. So Casting cause light wounds rather than cure light wounds, or casting darkness rather than light. They'll only do that in life or death situations. It does also say, though, that that no cleric should really be freely um, able to use both versions of the spell. That there, there should probably be some kind of, I don't know if penalty is the right word, but discouragement from people just, players... You know, using them willy-nilly. Uh, magic users have to specify what form is being mag is being memorized. So uh, they'd have to specify that they're taking uh, darkness rather than light or something. They and it says that they met they memorize their spell in reverse <laughs> to to cast the, the reverse version of the spell. 
it's it's interesting to note that like all D&D the the level of the spell has no relation to PC level. I know Colin Green has talked about that on the Spike Pit podcast and how that has always kind of puzzled him and frustrated him a little bit that you know if uh, a second level spell isn't available to you at second level, a third level spell isn't available to you at third level. Uh, it, there's no relationship between PC level and spell level, and I think that's something that could be ironed out in my current reimagining. That's what I'm going to do, because the other thing that comes into play is uh, within the spell brackets, as I've noted, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to the actual power level either. The They're wildly different, in fact. Like I pointed out, I mean, who's going to choose uh, ventriloquism over sleep who's going to what cleric in the right mind is going to unless you specifically know that you have to purify food and drink <laughs> that you know you you're out of rations but you've discovered this this spoiled stuff so the next day you cast purification to to recover that uh, that food and, and water to keep you alive other than that who's going to memorize that rather than cure light wounds or light uh, who's going to memorize resist cold unless you know that you're going up against some foe that uses cold based attacks they're they're just there's no rhyme or reason a lot of times about the power level and i think you could add more spells and develop uh first second third fourth spells that correspond with the character level so really, I mean, something like sleep should be a second level spell. It shouldn't be on the same, the same par as a floating disc or ventriloquism or hold portal or something. It's, uh, it's clearly a much superior spell. As far as the actual spells themselves, there's only 34 listed for clerics. There are 72 listed for magic user. For Cleric, there are eight first and second level spells and six of third, fourth, and fifth level. It caps out in BX at fifth level spells for Clerics. For Magic users, there's 12 spells of all six levels. Between the two, Cleric and Magic user, there are nine duplicates. Uh, Detect Evil, Detect Magic, Light, Protection from Evil, Hold Person, Continual Light, Locate object, remove curse, and protection from evil 10-foot radius. It is interesting to note that the actual level of the spell for each of those varies. So for a cleric, detect evil is a first-level spell. For a magic user, it's a second-level spell. For continual light, uh, it's reversed. For a magic user, it's second-level. For a cleric, it's third. And that happens, there's discrepancies uh, in those things for what, one, two, Six of the nine have a discrepancy of uh, what level they're, they're cast between the two. Uh, I guess it's also important to note that elves have the exact same spell list as magic users. So I guess I'm, I'm now at like the 35-minute mark. Um, so... I will go into more depth on the actual individual spells, and I'm not going to, I mean, like I've said before, I'm just kind of noting things that I find unique or 
interesting about BX in this deep dive. I'm not going to look at every spell, but I'm going to try and pick out ones that that do seem a little bit unique or odd in uh, in BX versus, well, at least the other versions of the game I'm familiar with. I have a feeling a lot of this stuff is callbacks to the original Little Brown books and supplements, which I don't have any of them. I've never had any of them, or, nor have I played that game system. So um, I think a lot of this is carryover from that rather than the AD&D branch that I'm more familiar with. So until I talk to you again, we'll cover spells in detail. Don't go down in a heap.